I think that was my first bear attack and facial trauma was pretty significant. I'm amazed at how good you look. You look great. They did an amazing job. It was pretty intense. I'm, I'm sure at this point you've seen pictures and yep. I didn't know that you would have a nose. I'm Rebecca Huntington. You're listening to The Fine Line, real stories of adventure, risk, and rescue in the backcountry of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, with support from the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole. Backcountry Zero is a project of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation. You can support this project and the volunteers at Teton County Search and Rescue by making an online donation today. Go to tetoncountysar.org slash donate. You're listening to the final episode of the three-part series, Grizzly Attack at Pacific Creek. In this series, we explore the hunt, the attack, and the aftermath of a grizzly attack in the Teton wilderness. Bordering Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks, the Teton wilderness is wild, remote, and full of grizzlies. In part one, we hear how James Moore, his brother Jake Peasley, and their friend Brent Bongers set out on a week-long hunt in this wild place. In part two, Moore describes the harrowing attack and rescue that follows on September 25, 2017. In this final episode, Moore has just gotten off of his horse and headed down the hill to Teton County Search and Rescue, which has landed a helicopter on a sandbar nearby, below a heavily timbered slope. I'm James Moore. I was the one that was attacked by the bears, and I currently live in Rock Springs, Wyoming. I'm Jake Peasley, James Moore's little brother, and uh, I was with him during the incident. Yeah, uh, just a super good friend of mine. His name is Brent Bongers. He was uh, a longtime resident there in Pinedale. He lives in Denver now, and so great individual, excellent hunter, super smart guy. And My name's Lizzie Watson. I'm a search and rescue volunteer. I've been there think almost five years and I work for Jacksonville Fire EMS as a firefighter paramedic so my role in the team is medical it's also other tasks. That's when it sunk in made my way down to Lizzie and, and she's like how you doing I was like pretty good I think you know whatever I said I'm not sure the exact words but I felt like I was doing pretty good and she's like okay we're just gonna sit you here for a second I'm just gonna check you out and then we'll we'll come up with a plan I was like yeah it's fine and uh, I don't know if you remember or not, but I was like, hey, sorry for the way this looks. You kept doing that. I was like, don't worry about yeah. it. He's so vain. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm not pretty right now. No, I, but I, that's how I felt about the whole deal. You know, I felt horrible for the position I put my brother and Brent in. And I, as I was walking down there, uh, not man or woman wouldn't have made a difference to me. I was just like, oh, they're going to have to see this. They're going to have to deal with this too like they're going to be a part of this now too and i was like i'm sorry you know but my reaction is like the last thing i want you to do is feel sorry yeah. we just want to help you you know i think i even asked you like i just need a second like just give me a second just need to be like a second alone you know two helicopters responded to the scene teton county search and rescue hires a contract helicopter supported in part through donations to get injured parties out of the backcountry. From there, a private air ambulance takes over. In this case, AirMed is on its way to get more from the trailhead to Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center 
in Idaho Falls. I just uh, wanted to check you out and make sure you were stable. Obviously, we knew you'd been going out on the horseback for about four miles at that point, I think is what you told me. So I knew you were stable. (laughs) That's a long way already. And um, I got a set of vitals on you, put a pulse ox on your finger, and asked you where you were bit. And so I looked at your face. I looked. At, you said you had some bites on your head, I believe. And so I looked at that, and I wanted to look at your other bites. But at at one point, I was just said, "Let's just go. <laughs> I don't want to do all this here. You know, you're stable. There's no point in you have a lot of clothes on too. Yeah. And it was going to be a big ordeal to try to look at all those bites. So um, that's when I said, "Let's just get in the ship and go." You said, "All right, let's get going." And uh, they helped me up into the into the helicopter first ever helicopter ride it's pretty freaking cool and i just remember like a real sense of calm like all right things are gonna be okay like everything's okay and i remember asking you like okay we going to the hospital you're like no this only goes to the trailhead i was like okay sounds good this is the part of the story that's fun like it's, it's funny and i like to tell these stories so we land down there and uh i'm feeling really good First of all, I guess I should say that when we were flying to the trailhead, um, you were determined you were not taking a life flight. Yeah. yeah. So I know, we were arguing with you about that a little bit because yeah. we were saying, you know, yes, you're stable and it's your choice. We can't make you take it. But you're like, no, not doing it. And so I actually stood down the other helicopter because you were very determined. And we put you in the ambulance first. So you walked over to it. They're like, what? He's walking? Yeah. Like, yes. So we walked you over to the ambulance and you got inside and we they did a full assessment of you in their ambulance first. So when we're riding out, my buddy says, dude, it's going to cost you a hundred grand if they air life you. I was like, no, no. I was like, I'll tell you what, you put me in the bed of my pick, or the backseat of my pickup truck and we'll go down this bumpy road to Jackson. But there was not a thought of that once I seen the helicopter. I was like, oh. I don't want to get in the backseat of a pickup truck. <laughs> I'm just now starting to feel good. Search and rescue ship is totally free. But, I, you know, the life flight. But that's whole why he denied life flight right. at first. I couldn't remember exactly how I got from the helicopter to the ambulance, but I just remember being inside. And then uh, the lady in there was really, really amazing. And there was a man in there, too. Rob Gallagher was your the guy. It was Teton, Grand Teton National Park ambulance. Yep. And uh, really amazing. She's like, how you doing? I was like, good. She's like, do you mind if we cut these clothes off of you? And I was like, no. And she's like, okay. She's like, uh, you don't you don't want air life? And I was like, which one's cheaper? <laughs> <laughs> she says, this is. I said, okay. So she's like, are you in any pain? And uh, I wasn't in any pain, but I was, I was kind of over it. I, I was probably in a little bit of pain. I remember that as we got... Just before the helicopter got there, I had like a burning sensation in my lungs when I was breathing. And uh, it was kind of like building up. And I think they actually gave me a shot at that point, but I'm not 100% sure if they did, but they definitely started an IV. And uh, so she's cutting my clothes off of me, and I'm thinking, this is great. Let's get out of here. And then a guy who I never seen his face because I was laying like this, I think got in the front of the ambulance. And he says, who, t- who turned their life around? And this guy was visibly, well, I shouldn't say visibly because I couldn't see him, but audibly, he was upset. And I just remember going, whoa, I said that. He said, James, 
This ambulance goes to Jackson Hole. Air Life goes to Idaho Falls. And there ain't nobody for you in Jackson Hole. That's what he, is that what he said? Pretty pretty close? Pretty darn close. That's yeah. the way I remember it. <laughs> Instantly with his tone changed my mind. Great, let's get on a helicopter. <laughs> I'm I'm game. Whatever you guys want to do. So at this point, they had already cut my clothes off of me because they think they're taking me to the hospital. Now they gotta wait for the other helicopter to land. And they're just talking me through it. And I remember it was just like really chill. Like nobody was stressed out. I wasn't stressed. Nobody in and the ambulance was stressed after the gentleman calmed down and he got his way about air life. But then it's time to take me from the ambulance to the to the next helicopter. Rob had a pair of um, clear glasses sitting on top of his hat. And you're like, dude, you got to take your glasses off. Because I think you, you could, could see, see the reflection. reflection. Yeah, I, <laughs> I do remember that. I was like, bro. You got to go. <laughs> yeah. I think that was my first bear attack. And facial trauma was pretty significant. I'm amazed at how good you look. You look great. They did an amazing job. Yeah, people... But it was... It was pretty intense. I'm, I'm sure at this point you've seen pictures. and Yep. I didn't know that you would have a nose. Yeah, neither did I. I remember riding out and I kept saying, I got a nose. Like, tell me the truth. Don't lie to me. My brother's like, yeah, and bongers, Brent. He's like, you got a nose, man. He says, you're going to have to have some plastic surgery. He's he's such a realist. But, like, in the, in way, way. In the way you need him to be, you know. He's like, not going to try to BS your sugar coat. He's like, man, you're messed up. Like, when I said, I'm good. He's like. Dude, you're not good. You're going to be good, but you're not good. He's like, you're going to need some plastic surgery. But he's like, I'm pretty sure most of your nose is there, all your nose is there. Like, you're good. So, I mean, obviously on a podcast you can't visualize what we're talking about, but I was missing close to 50% of my nose and a large majority of my upper lip. And then deep into the nasal cavity there was some damage. So uh, you can imagine what the sh- what the shape looks like with a skeleton, right? That's what I seen the first well, time I seen it. And for everyone else who was looking at it, you were covered in blood, so you couldn't see the fifty percent of the nose that you did. It was have. pretty hidden, yeah. And so everybody was thinking you weren't going to come out of it with a nose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way I've described it is, it looked like you know flaps, yeah. and like most of it was gone. So yeah, it wasn't a ton ton of cartilage, I don't think there. Yeah, it wasn't much skin left either, but you know they did a good job with it. So my favorite part of the story is going from the ambulance into the second helicopter. So at this point, they've already cut my clothes off me. It's freezing cold outside, right? And I got a sheet on me, which I don't think nothing of it until they roll me out on this gurney. And I realize there's like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like maybe 50 people standing around. must have been like the guide and all his hunters. <laughs> all the all the search and rescue guys that look like lumberjacks, their big old beards, you know, tough. <laughs> Tough-looking guys, you know, and here I am in my drawers with a sheet over me, flapping in the wind. And then there was like a, I believe it was the sheriff or maybe a sheriff's deputy who was taking pictures. And uh, they took me over to the helicopter and they loaded me on there. And honestly, all I could think to do is just like wave at everybody. I was just like, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm out here, man. Like it's about as vulnerable as you can get." And I just remember waving, and people started clapping. And uh, we're talking a lot about Teton County Search and Rescue, but I, I got to tell you about how amazing the Air Life or there's, I know the name for it, the one that comes out of Idaho. What's the actual name? Uh, Life Flight. Is it just Life Flight? 
Yeah, there's a couple. There's Air Med. It is Air Med. Okay. Air Med. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm 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 sure they're all amazing. But these guys were so amazing. So there's a man, a, a lady, and a pilot, a male pilot, and uh, we get up in the air, and we're flying over, and I'm just looking down. I'm like, man, I remember these guys six days ago when we was looking for help? And I remember this paramedic or EMT, I'm not sure the appropriate term. She's just looking at me like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> so we get in the flight a little ways. And she's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm good. She's like, you, really, honestly, are you feeling okay? I said, yeah, I'm good, but t- tell me if I'm not. <laughs> she's scaring me That's point. <laughs> right? She's like, no, but. She's like, we never get people in here that are calm as you are. Like, you're really calm. You're okay? I was like, I feel really good. Like, I'm just, I feel grateful. I I feel good. And uh, I said, would it be rude to ask how long it's going to take to get there? And she's like, no, not at all. And I I think she said like 30 minutes or something, right? And I I would bet any amount of money, even though I don't know him, that this pilot was a combat vet or something. Because he looks down at me and he goes... With his hands, he signals two zero, and gives me the hang loose sign. And I was like, "That might be the coolest person I've ever met." Like in that moment, I'm like, oh, "You feel like you're in Top Gun." Yeah, like why can't I be that guy? You know, like serious, serious situation. He's like, 20 minutes, bro," and he gives you the hang loose sign. Like, don't worry about it. I got. I'm gonna shave ten minutes off of here for you. Uh, so they land in in Idaho Falls. They go rolling me into, you know, emergency room or ICU, whatever it is. And there was they were ready. Like, they were ready. There was tons of nurses and people, and they were all standing around the edge of the room when they rolled me in. And I swear, it was, you can ask those guys, it was dead silent like a pin could drop. Like, it was, it was really surreal. And uh, there's, there's nurses all around the bed. And there's a doctor, and then there's a doctor talking to me. And he says... Hey, James, he said, uh, I'm Dr. Lemon. This is Dr. Wilson. He said, you ain't got a thing to worry about. He's like, we got you. This is not new to us. Like, you're in good hands. He says, is there anything I can do for you? And I said, yeah. I said, I need somebody to call my wife and tell her that I'm okay. I don't want her to be scared. I said, she's traveling with my kids. Like, she needs to know, like, this is not that serious. He said, okay. I said, I've had a long day. The sooner I go to sleep, the better. And he says, happening right now, I was out. I'm Betsy Moore. I'm James's wife, the gentleman from Search and Rescue. He called and said that Life Flight had picked him up and that they were on their way to Idaho Falls. He told me that James was okay and that he was probably going to survive, but that I needed to prepare myself because he didn't look very good and... um. I was just like, okay, well, is he going to live? And he's like, yes, I think he's going to live. At the time, my son was 10. I had a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old and a 19-year-old. So I know they're already feeling something happened. But now at this point, I guess they're feeling like their dad died. And so the two of them together are trying to be real strong and not say those things to each other. But anyways, I had my son, my 10-year-old son with me and the girls following behind and Gabby at grandma's house. I just drove all the way to Idaho Falls. 
I was super reluctant about those spots. You know, I was just like, I ain't gonna need one. You know, everybody's tougher than they really are. So, uh, I, I definitely have one right. now, and I think everybody should carry one. And actually, they've made some advances in it where you can actually text. One thing that might get missed in this whole deal too is uh, the fact that even though uh, the helicopter picked us up, there was a lot of guys there that were ready, and it was abundantly obvious that they had their boots laced up and they were going in there. And that was getting late in the day, but they were going to go in there, and I would have got out that way too. So luckily, we didn't have to go that route. But it's important to know that those guys were there, and they were they were obviously prepared to go in there and carry me out on their back if they had to. Yeah, we definitely have to have two plans, you know, because the weather changes or something and the ship's out of commission. So, And it is amazing because, like I said, the first phone call I got, the the gentleman from Search and Rescue said, you know, we don't know what's happened. It could have just been an accident that this button was pushed. So all of you are getting prepared for something that might not even exist. And so many people – you know, going out and doing that, and it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, those lumberjacks, we uh, call them lumberjacks, but they... Uh, That's how we refer to them. We had, had to talk <laughs> with them, too, and, and they all, they their plan was to, if they had to, was to build a trail in there and have the EMTs come in behind them. I mean, that would have been amazing. One thing, a game warden, Kyle, such a great guy. He he knew we were short a short guy now that my brother was in the hospital, and he offered us all of his pack horses, all of his time, corrals, and everything to go in and roll up camp. And uh, and he stayed in touch with me. He still stays in touch with me to this day. Uh, we call and talk about different attacks that have happened since then. But his main concern was was my brother and and his health and his safety. Me, Branton, and uh, and his fiance. He went in there, and again, we were just ready ready for anything. We were probably more aware of our surroundings better than we ever had been. And we went in there, got everything rolled up, and got the horses out. Everything just worked out good. It was really hard on all the family and us sitting, waiting for them to go in and come back out. We We definitely tried to talk them into just leaving everything and not going back up there. Hey everyone, this is Alex St. Clair, a volunteer with Teton County Search and Rescue. As we're listening to this story about a bear attack, I want to remind you of a few things that we can all do to stay safe in bear country. First, always carry your bear spray and know how to use it. Second, don't travel alone. There is power in numbers. Third, make noise. I like to yell something silly like, hey boo boo, and clap my hands. So just follow these simple steps and we can all have a great day out in the mountains. For more safety tips about traveling in bear country, please visit backcountryzero.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the story. I don't know if you guys are comfortable talking about this. If you're not, no worries. But um, something we've been kind of talking about as a community is um, stress injuries. And I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. You know, a lot of people have used PTSD before, but stress injuries, they say we get from our job. And it can be from anything little. It's usually more of an accumulation thing, but sometimes it's one incident. Obviously, this is more of one incident for you. But um, I know I had some people ask me, and they're curious, if you feel like you have a stress injury from it, do you feel like you think about it when you go out hunting now? And your brother, if he feels like he has any lingering effects as well? 
I, I don't know if you'll get either one of them to, to fess talk up, about it, but I, I would say so. Sure. For both of them. I've never talked to Brent about it, but I wouldn't doubt it. It's something we're trying to make more acceptable to talk about mm-hmm. in the community. Um, and talking about it as a stress injury instead of PTSD because it's just like anything else on the job that we have to deal with. And it's like hurting your hand. You go to the doctor, deal with it, you know, but yeah. I know it's, it's, it's also a lot harder to talk about. No, I mean, I'm yeah, for you guys, I can only imagine what it's like all the time having to go into those situations, you know, um, the pressure of whether or not you guys do enough for people, you know, how they turn out. But I, I guarantee for me 100%, the only reason I come out as well as I did was your guys' fast response. No doctors we talked to, nobody can believe that we did, that I didn't have one infection. I never had, we did, we had 12 reconstructive surgeries, not one hiccup. Uh, I don't know how long I was in ICU for the first time, but I never got an infection after the first couple of surgeries. You know, they couldn't believe it. They're like, hey, you need to be taking these six zillion milligram antibiotics or whatever they are, you know, but nothing. So we're grateful. I'm sure everybody that you guys help is grateful, but I can only imagine how stressful your guys' job is to do something like that. I think that after going through something like they've been through, I think that dreams and forethought and things like that are super common. I think that they put a lot more thought into where they're going and what they have with them and who they have with them. You know, I think um, you can call it a stress injury or you can call it learning from, you know, past experience, but it's it's definitely very common. I, could, I would be amazed if you could go through something like this and not be affected in those ways. Which I, I'm grateful for, too, because this is my brother and this is my husband, and I want them to think about these things. I want them to think about what they need to take the spots that they have with them, you know, and they do now. Yeah, the year before, I spent eight days in the backcountry on a solo hunt, uh, elk hunting by myself. Nobody was there. I did a, a walk-in solo hunt and never... Never gave two thoughts about it. So that was 2016. Uh, 2017, I have the incident with the bear. 2018, I'm headed into the backcountry on a solo hunt, six days by myself, and I made it two and a half days. <laughs> so, <laughs> And you had a spot. <laughs> and I had a spot. Yeah, so things definitely change, and uh, you're more conscientious of those kind of things. I don't think you can come through something like that without having some lingering effects from it, you know? I mean, I'm not. But it's definitely not a weak link. It's definitely not something that only happens to a weak mind or a weak person. It's, I, like I said, it, it would be odd to me if it didn't happen to you, if you didn't put more thought into what you were doing or have a bad dream or two to remind you that you need to do what you didn't do, you know? There's parts of the story that aren't that fun to tell, and then there's, like, you know, some positive things that come out of it, and there's some fun parts of the story to tell, and it's probably pretty obvious which ones are which. But, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, if if somebody's gone through a traumatic incident and they're having issues with it, 
my recommendation would be talk to your talk to your family and friends and don't don't hesitate to go see a physician if that's what you really need. I mean, you don't see it as weak. No, it's, it's normal. It's 2019. I mean, I think everybody realizes that you don't have a lot of control over what's going on in your brain when when you have traumatic incidents, whether it's automobile accidents, childhood injuries, you know, working for search and rescue, seeing yeah. everything you see. Yeah, I mean, high stress, you know, 911 operators, whatever it is. Like that that would be my advice. I mean, if you're having issues, don't don't be scared to say something. So that's a thing. Like uh, you can't describe that over this podcast, obviously. But if you look at all the wounds, it was so close. It could have been. It could have been a really really bad deal, but it wasn't. Like you know, I'm curled up like this, and she bites through my hand, and she bites through my trap, but she goes through my hand instead of through the neck. Um, she, there's a huge portion of my my school that scalp uh, scalp yeah mm-hmm. scalp it was peeled back you know literally like a two by three section of it and you know you think well that's really terrible except for the positive side of that is yeah your scalp gave way but if it wouldn't have that's how people get killed in bear attacks because instead of the scalp giving way it penetrates through the skull and then which you know, is crazy because the rest of the wounds are all puncture wounds you, mm-hmm. they're na- fingernails or teeth just right down into it. No scraping. Yeah. Yeah, I got like five five or six holes in my back, you know, when she was biting me. That's the thing that's amazing too. Like you don't you see a grizzly bear and you go, Oh man, they're they're big, but like they're really big, you know? I think we all see grizzly bears really <laughs> big, except for you. I don't know. But I can I can vividly remember like when I shoved my elbow out when the initial attack happened. And she bit me at the elbow, so my arm was bent. Like, like my arm literally, like, just disappeared inside of her jaws. Like, here's her snout, and then, like, back there is where she bit me. And then, poof, right onto the ground. It's like, yes. I mean, if you think he... I think he imagined, like, a really big dog attack. Yes, yeah, And was then realized it was not that. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, if Bear tries to attack me, I'm just going to punch it yell hey bear because that's what people do like hey bear and it's gonna run off you know if if it happens to bite me i mean like i'll just shove my arm out there and i'll hit it or kick it a couple times and it'll run off like it doesn't really want to fight it's not really the case so it's not scared of you no was not no i don't know what else to tell you about it just kind of one of those things that happened and and uh i wished it wouldn't have but you know we're grateful for the way it turned out This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. Find out more at backcountryzero.com.